Hello, I'm Brother Michael Lankford. Our podcast is called Discipleship Answers. This is a podcast where I answer questions that I have received and that you have sent me as it pertains to how to walk as a disciple and how to make disciples of yod heh Almighty God, and of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. After more than 30 years in discipleship ministry, I have received many questions from up-and-coming disciples, and by popular request, I'm answering some of your questions in a podcast so that you can study while you commute or study while you do other chores. And so, Discipleship Answers was born. Discipleship Answers generally publishes new episodes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays around 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, so do check back often. I bid you welcome. We are entering part two of a three-part teaching series called What is Repenting and Why Does It Matter? This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, please do check back and that episode because some of the foundations are established there. Again, neighbor, I want to thank you for your question. The question is, what is repenting and why does it matter? As you may remember, we're breaking this answer into three parts because the details are so lengthy. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, I humbly request that you go back and listen to that first because otherwise you will miss some very critical foundational things. For those who are continuing to study, thank you for returning. Let us do a quick review of what I call the repenting toolkit. There are certain things that you have to have in place in order to be able to repent correctly. The first thing we have to remember is the big why. Why repenting matters. And the answer is a very straightforward one. Jesus the Messiah clearly said that unless we repent, we will perish. He said that in Luke 13 verse 3, and he teaches the same concept again in John 8, 34 and 35. Without repenting, we risk our eternal salvation. Repenting is a salvation issue. It makes the difference between salvation and condemnation eternal life, or eternal death. That's why learning to repent correctly matters. Now, we do have some basic tools that we need to use in order to help us repent successfully. First, we need to understand that Almighty God is going to judge. Because unless we understand and respect the judgments of God, we will not know and we will not recognize that we have sinned. Also, unless we recognize and respect that God is the judge, then we will not see any need or any urgency to repent. Second, we need to understand and respect what repent means from God's biblical point of view, because you cannot repent successfully without understanding what repent actually means in God's eyes. Third, we need to understand and respect God's definition for sin, because we cannot successfully turn away from sin unless we understand how God defines sin in the first place. And that was what we did in part one. In part two, today's lesson, we will discuss that we need to understand the real consequences for sin. If we don't repent, the reason for this is because human nature is such that we don't see the urgency to repent and overcome sin if we don't understand the biblical consequences of continuing to allow sin to control our lives. Also, later in this episode, we will discuss that we need to make a choice of our will to repent. And the reason for this is because all good and lasting changes in life begin with making a willful choice. That's what we'll cover today. Coming up in part three, we will discuss that we need to prayerfully create action plans to faithfully align ourselves with God's definition of repentance. In other words, we will need to be doing the deeds of repentance. 
And also, we will need to persevere. We will need to keep practicing the deeds of repentance until our attitudes, our words, and our actions are transformed into what is pleasing and honoring to Yahweh. Repenting is a lifestyle. It's really not an event. But for today, we'll start with part two. Respecting the dire consequences of sin. We need to understand the real consequences for sin if we don't repent. Because human nature is such that we don't see our urgency to repent and to overcome sin if we do not understand the biblical consequences of continuing to live sinful lives. There are a few straight-up consequences for sin. Sin will break our fellowship with yod heh vav -Heh, Almighty God, and with Messiah, and with other people. So one of the big consequences of sin is it breaks and violates relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Messiah, and our relationship with each other is broken the more we sin. Sin and lawlessness or command breaking causes our love to grow cold. Sin leads to captivity, bondage, and slavery, including captivity to deception. Sin leads to death, and sin leads to everlasting torment and separation from Yahweh and his loving presence. So let's break down and discuss each one of these just a little bit. Sin breaks our fellowship with Yahweh, with Messiah, and with others. We see that in Exodus 33 verse 3, Psalm 66 verse 18, Isaiah 59 verse 2, Psalm 95 7 through 11, Proverbs 15 8 and 9, Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 26. As it is written, Go up to the land of flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up with you in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Exodus 33 verse 3. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. God doesn't want to hang out with us as much when we sin. As it is written, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin affects God's willingness to hear our prayers. Psalm 66, verse 18. As it is written, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, verse 2. The next consequence of sin is that it makes our love grow cold. And we see that in Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, as it is written. Because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 12 and 13. Sin, lawlessness, commandment breaking is what causes people's love to grow cold. Next, sin leads to captivity to slavery, to bondage, and even the bondage of deception. We see that in Hebrews 3.13. We see it in Isaiah 44, verse 20. We see that in Matthew chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. We see that in Romans 6.16, and in Romans 7.14, and in Romans 7.25, and in Ephesians 4.22. As it is written, Jesus himself answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. John 8, 34 and 35. Scripture could not be more clear. 
as it is written. But exhort one another day after day while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's in Hebrews 3, verse 13. Sin leads to death. We see that in 1 Chronicles 10, 13. In Proverbs 11, 19, in Ezekiel 11, 4, and in James 1, 13 through 15, and again in Romans 6, 23, as it is written, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father and the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel 18, 4. As it is written, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Next, Sin leads to everlasting torment and separation from Yahweh and his loving presence. We see that described to us in Matthew 25, verse 41, in Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42, in Matthew 24, 41, in Matthew 25, 30. So either we will learn to progressively separate ourselves from sin, or our sin will progressively separate us from Yahweh. As it is written, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 13 verses 41 and 42. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Jesus says will happen to people at the end who practice lawlessness and sin. These aren't my words. These are the words of Messiah right in the New Testament. Again, as it is written, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. That place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 41, 42. Folks, that is not heaven. If he swears that people who commit lawlessness and cause others to stumble into lawlessness are going to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, that ain't a definition of salvation. As it is written, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 41 through 46. Review it for yourself. The next thing we want to talk about is making the choice of our will to repent. We need to make the choice of our will to repent. All good and lasting changes in our lives are a matter of making the choice first. God gives us the freedom to choose. If we truly want to avoid the desperate consequences for sin, the only good choice left to us is to repent. 
if we refuse to repent, then we get to harvest the results and the consequences of continuing to sin. If we repent, then we avoid those awful consequences. But if we don't repent, then the consequences are ours to bear. The choice is entirely ours. A lot of people like to blame God for their problems, but the reality is he made a way of escape. But the price is that we have to repent. We have to turn away from sin and return to Yahweh and to the ways that God says are good. And if we do that, then he will save us. He will rescue us. He will transform us. He will change us. He will forgive us. And if we don't do that, then our sin will catch up with us and our sin will destroy us. The choice is ours. In the end, there are only two basic reasons why people do not make the choice to repent. One, they do not understand that they are in sin and that they are heading for judgment as far as God is concerned. Some people think that they are okay when God's word says that they're actually not okay. They don't understand where they're actually heading and where they actually stand in God's eyes. They have deceived themselves into thinking that they are headed for eternal rewards when the scripture would actually say that they're heading for eternal punishment. Lots of people out there think they're okay. They think they're in Christ. They think they're headed for the kingdom of heaven when really the Bible says they're heading for eternal punishment. The second reason that people don't repent is they somehow have kidded themselves or fooled themselves into thinking that God's judgment will not happen to them. They might believe in the abstract theory of the idea that God is going to judge the living and the dead. They may believe in the abstract notion, yeah, sure, God's going to judge the living and the dead someday, sure. But that's for the other guy. That doesn't really apply to me. I'm all right. That's for that other person over there. He's not really trying to warn me, too. I'm under God's grace and love, so I don't need to worry myself about God's judgments and his punishments, like those other fellows over there should worry. In short, they get so enamored in the love and the grace of God that they do not walk carefully with God. They forget to take God's judgments seriously, and that is dangerous. The biggest reason that people don't repent is because they have convinced themselves that they don't need to. Repenting might be necessary for the other guy, but not for me because I'm under grace. I'm okay. They don't repent because they don't think that they need to. They think they're fine. Even when God and when Jesus Christ openly says that they're not fine, according to his words. They have neglected to do what the New Testament tells us to do, which is to carefully judge ourselves by God's standards so that we don't enter into judgment. It is one of the biggest deceptions of the modern age. Yes, beloved, yes, I do believe in God's grace. God's grace is real. I thank God for his grace. I rejoice in his grace. I am grateful for his grace. I rely upon it. God's grace is very real. God's grace is awesome. God's grace is powerful. God's grace is life-changing when we submit ourselves to God. Yes, I do believe and I rely upon the grace of God. The problem is what most modern Christians tend to forget, that God's wrath and God's judgments and God's punishments are just as real as God's grace is real. We all love the biblical teaching of the prodigal son. It's a great story. It has marvelous happy endings. If you haven't reviewed the biblical teaching of the prodigal son recently, I highly recommend that you review it again. 
The prodigal son teaching can be found in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32. Please do go and review it. Many believers, though, are in such a hurry to reach the happy ending of the story that they sometimes miss some pivotal points. First, the loving father was willing to let his younger son go, if that's what the kid chose to do. So if the kid made up his mind that he didn't want to be under the father's leadership or under the father's lordship, the father let him go. Not happily, but he let him go. Second, the loving father was perfectly willing to let the kid suffer under the natural consequences of the choices the kid made. The father did not go out of his way to rescue the kid from the pain and suffering that the kid had brought on himself. Third, genuine repentance is the pivotal point of the story. Everything hinges and turns on this point. Remember that the prodigal son has wasted his entire inheritance. He has literally taken a job feeding pigs. He makes a living feeding pigs, and his pay is whatever is left over that the pigs won't eat after they've had their fill. That's what he receives for his food. His pay is whatever the pigs won't eat after they've had their fill. After they've eaten what they want, he gets the leftovers. This is how desperate this fellow had gotten. Please don't forget that. It's a pitiful situation, but it's also a pivotal moment. As it is written, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's in Luke fifteen sixteen through 20. The pivotal moment of the entire biblical account of the prodigal son is when he truly realized the dire straits that he was in. Think about it. When you are desperate and hungry enough that you're willing to eat pig slop leftovers, what pigs leave after their meal and after they've eaten their fill, you are in pretty dire straits. The prodigal son came to his senses. He realized that even his father's slaves were better off than he was right then. He changed his mind, he changed his intentions, and he changed his actions, and he headed for home. He literally fulfilled the biblical definition of repenting that we described in part one. It was a very smart move on the son's part. At the same time, there are some dynamics of this biblical account that very few people like to talk about, and that is what happens if the prodigal son didn't come to his senses. What happens if he didn't change his mind? What happens if he didn't decide to humble himself? What happens if he didn't decide to change his actions and head home? The answer should be obvious. If the prodigal son doesn't repent, he dies. And he dies in a pig pen of a foreign country where nobody loves him and nobody cares about him. That would be the result if the prodigal son had chosen not to repent. The consequences 
of the prodigal son's decision would not have been removed, even if it meant that he died in a foreign pig pen with nobody caring about him and nobody caring what happened to him. That would have been the result if the prodigal son had not repented and returned home. The result of the young man's choices did not change until he repented. The results would not have changed and the consequences of his sins would not have been removed. The consequences of his sin would have killed him if he had not repented. And we're in the same boat. If we don't change our ways, it's going to destroy us just like it would the prodigal son. If he had refused to repent, he would have perished in a foreign pig pen and died where no one cared about him. The results of his sin would not have been removed even if it meant his death. Don't get so enamored with the good side of the story that you neglect to pay attention to the reverse side of the same coin. In a way, the prodigal son had an advantage over us too. When you are so desperate that you are living in a pig pen and that your food is whatever pigs won't eat after they're full, there is no way that you can delude yourself or deceive yourself into thinking that you're all right and you're okay. Unless you are insane, there is no way that you can think to yourself, I'm okay with that kind of situation going on in your life. In that situation, you have got to know that you are in desperate straits. And that if you don't change something radically about your life and change it soon, then you are doomed. It's kind of hard to deceive yourself into thinking you're doing okay when you're living in a pig pen and eating pig leftovers. In a way, the prodigal son had an advantage over us because he couldn't deceive himself into thinking he was all right. He had a living demonstration of his life circumstances that he was not only not okay, but if he didn't change something soon, he was going to perish and die of starvation in a foreign pig pen where no one cared about him. He was desperate and he knew it. Most sinners today are very comfortable in our sin, and especially in America. Our society has gone so long, such a long way to remove both the stigma and the consequences for sinful behavior, and so people don't feel the pain and the discomfort that is brought on by sin, and they virtually see no urgency to repent. I'll give you a couple of examples, and these are just a couple of many, but think about it for a minute. You want to be sexually immoral and have sex with everything that moves without taking any responsibility at all for the consequences of unwanted pregnancy? You can do that in this country. All you have to do is lay on a table and we'll tear the baby out of your womb limb from limb and we will make a profit selling your baby's organs. What's more, if you can't afford to pay for this atrocity of murdering an unborn child, and then we'll take care of that too because the taxpayer of the United States will foot the bill on your behalf. That's how far we've come. There are no consequences for this sin anymore. We've taken all the consequences and all the pain and all the discomfort out of sin as much as we could. So people can delete themselves into thinking that, you know, it doesn't really matter whether they repent or not because there is no cost to you at all. Here's another example. Think about it. If you run a company such as Exxon or Enron or Chrysler and you make stupid financial decisions and make bad loans or take on bad investments and you don't have to worry about taking the consequences of your dumb financial decisions because the federal taxpayer is going to pay for your bailout. If you manage to bribe your right politicians, you can get away with any stupid decision you want 
There is no urgency to repent and make good decisions that are truly good for your country and good for your workers because nobody in your company is going to feel the pinch as much. Somebody else is going to foot the bill for the stupid mistake you made. The American taxpayer is going to foot the bill. And so there are no consequences, hardly, for the sin of greed and stupidity. We have made sin and wickedness incredibly easy in this country. If you have the eyes to truly look, you can see how adversely it is affecting our whole society. We don't see the need to repent and turn away from sin because we don't see the cost of not repenting. And it's dangerous. Most churches in America have made people extremely comfortable in their sin. They delude themselves. They think that they are showing God's grace to people. But what they are really showing and demonstrating is total contempt and total disregard for how holy and how righteous God is. Yes, God is truly gracious, and I'm grateful for it. He is also fully righteous and fully serious about punishing us for our sins and for our wickedness if we do not turn away from it. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is read your Bible. Look at the flood of Noah. Look at the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at the judgment he put on the nations of Canaan. Look at Israel's captivity in Babylon. Look at the book of Revelation in Isaiah 66. See the wrath and the judgment and the punishment from God that are coming. Take God seriously. Yes, God is gracious, but God is also not kidding. Don't forget that God's judgment is as real as God's grace is. Please come to your senses. Please learn to judge yourself by the standards that God says he's going to use when he judges people. It doesn't matter what society thinks. It doesn't matter what's woke or politically correct, because that's not the standard God's going to use to judge us by. Since God is the judge, then God's opinion is the only opinion that matters. Do your best to make sure that he would say that you are in good standing with him, because that's what counts. If you don't know where you stand and you don't know where to start, do a biblical study of what God says will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you see that you're doing any of those things that God says don't inherit his kingdom, take it seriously. Make the choice of your will to turn away from it and to repent. Please make the choice of your will to turn away from what God considers to be sin and to return to Yodevavhe and to his ways. Choose to learn and do what God says is pleasing to him. You will not regret making the choice. As it is written, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Revelation 3, 19. Coming up in part 3, which is our final installment in this particular series, we will discuss the practical tips on how to make a workable action plan to repent and how to persevere until you succeed, until your mind changes your desires change, your attitude changes, and you can change your action into what is pleasing to the Heavenly Father. I do hope you'll join us for that. Till you hear us again next time, may yod heh bless you and keep you. May yod heh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May yod heh lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the name of Jesus, Yeshua from Mashiach, the Prince of Peace. Amen.